morning. Have a seat. Grab your Bibles. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Isn't it good to visit with one another? I think it's a blessing. I just say this little caveat. If you see someone that's not being greeted, I just challenge you to reach out. Even if you don't know them, they may have been here for a long time. You may have been here for a long time. It doesn't matter. Just reach out and embrace them. We have a lot happening in the life of our church, and today's service is going to be different from what we normally do each Sunday at FCC. So just sit back and enjoy. I'm really hoping that you will be blessed by this service. I do want to let you know about a couple things that are upcoming, including Wednesday night, the Haiti mission trip. If you went on the Haiti mission trip, will you stand up right now, please? Where's the Haiti mission team? Uh, Give them a hand, by the way, please. And on Wednesday evening in the Family Life Center, we're going to get to hear a report on what took place. So even if you don't come to families at first, even if you're not a Wednesday night regular, I'd really encourage you to come out. I would love to pack the Family Life Center upstairs and really show some encouragement to these men and women and teenagers that went and allowed themselves to really be stretched. I'm on the board at the YMCA, and the YMCA just went through a renovation. It's unfolding as we speak, should be finished in the next couple days and they are hosting an open house and you are invited to be at the open house three weeks from today Sunday the 13th of November from 4 to 7 p.m. they would love to have you come out if you're not a member of the YMCA if you go to the open house that day they will waive all joiner fees if you decide to join so come on out check out the YMCA and of course NT 75 is continuing and I hope that you will continue or begin to read through the New Testament with me and with hundreds other uh, hundreds of others from our church. It's really been a blessing for me personally, and I know it's been a blessing for many of you. I'm blogging every day on what I am reading, and I'm encouraging you to chime in as well. And just to be honest with you, not very many of you are chiming in this time. So I need people to, to share insight that you may have from God's Word as well. Today's reading is 2 Corinthians chapters 4, 5, and 6. What's most important about the church? What's most important about the faith? If you were to take your bulletin out and you were to maybe find a a, a space where you could write something down, what would you jot down? Don't shout it out. A lot of times I ask you to shout out. I don't really want you to shout out this morning, but I just want you to think for a moment, what's most important? When you think of the church, when you think first Christian church, when you think being a Christ follower, what is, as the screen says, of first importance? I was a 26-year-old youth minister during a very challenging time in my ministry. I was the only ministry on the staff of a church of about 300 doing preaching on a fairly regular basis. And right before one Sunday morning service, two of the senior citizens in the church um, that had the gift of discontent came up to me and said, um, we have to meet with you. We've got a huge crisis. And I said, well, you know, I'm a little busy right now. We start church in a couple minutes. Could we meet tomorrow morning? They said, at the very latest tomorrow morning. And they said these words as they walked away, you just need to know you're in trouble. 
And I thought, well, what have I done now? You know, was it the Cubs shirt that I'd worn to the office on Friday? What, what was the problem? And so Monday morning they showed up and very unhappy, very somber, very disappointed. And they said, we just need to let you know that we are calling you on your sin. And I said, wow, that never happened to me in my life. And I am a sinner. I fall short like all of us do. And I said, well, what happened? They said, well, yesterday morning at about 7.55, you walked into the sanctuary to give the organist and the pianist a piece of paper. It turned out to be the order of service. And they said, and you had something in your hand. I said, yeah. They said, you had an open cup of coffee in God's sanctuary. Now, at that point, I, waited for, I, I was waiting for people like to run around the corner and say, you're on candid camera or something like that. Uh, they were serious as a heart attack, as serious as could be. You have sinned against God by bringing an open cup of coffee into the sanctuary. At this church, Less than two years ago, I got done with a Sunday morning service. It was first service, and I had someone greet me at the door right there. I just finished shaking a bunch of hands, and he was very animated and very upset with me. And he said, do you know what's wrong with our sanctuary? And I said, I don't think anything's wrong with our sanctuary. And he marched me up on the stage all the way back here, and the eagle on the American flag was turned around. And he said, if you don't get that eagle fixed, I'll never be back. True story. Hope he's not here today. Um, actually, I hope he is here today. I can't believe I just said that. Wow. Wow. Yikes. What do we call that? A, a slip? Yeah. Here's what I want to do as we begin this morning. And again, today's service really focuses on what is most important of the faith. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I asked you to go to chapter 11. In chapter 15, we see these words of Scripture from the Apostle Paul. He says, What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. What Paul is saying, this is what's most important. So we can deduce from that that when he says this is of first importance, the next several things that he's going to say is what's most important. The next several things that he is going to share is what we need to underline in our Bible and live out in our life. And here's what he had to say. This is what's of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried and was raised on the third day according to to the scriptures. That's what's most important. Paul says it's not what direction the eagle is facing. It's not cups of coffee or hats or, or things that we allow ourselves to get really fired up about. The apostle Paul says what's most important is that Jesus Christ died for us, for our sins. He was buried in a tomb and three days later, he beat death once and for all. This right here, my friends, in a nutshell, is the gospel message. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. If you ever come to our church, 
and you don't walk away having that reinforced in one way or another, we have failed. I have failed. We can have the greatest intentions in the world, but if we are not every time we gather together reminding one another the, the, the very gist of the gospel message, Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again, then we're just playing church. We're missing the boat. And one way that we try to accomplish that every single Sunday morning is through communion. It's through the Lord's Supper. I realize that many of you, you're not from a Christian church background, and that's great. That's okay. And, and maybe you went to a church that did communion once a month or maybe once a quarter. I, I know people that go to church, they never participate in communion. And I'm not throwing stones this morning, but I'm driving home to you that every week at First Christian Church, we observe the Lord's Supper. On Sundays when the cantata, the choir cantata, takes 50 minutes or the class at kids program takes 60 minutes, we still have communion. It's a staple of who we are and what we're about. It's a reinforcement that Jesus died, that he was buried, and oh, by the way, he rose again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I think Paul gives us the most helpful teaching in the New Testament about communion, about why we do it, about what it's all about, about what is being accomplished when you take the bread and when you drink the cup. And so this morning, our entire service focuses on this idea of communion, this idea of the Lord's Supper. And as I set it up, I need to let you know, Paul wrote this letter to the, to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and the church at Corinth had a lot of problems. They really struggled with unity. There was a lot of bickering and divisiveness, a lot, a lot of issues playing out in, in, in the life of Christians. And one of the problems that they had is that they were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were abusing communion. I'm not going to read it for time's sake. We're going to start in verse 23. But if you read verses 17 to 22, you learn that people were coming together and they were overindulging in the Lord's Supper. Now that seems funny to us because we've got the little crackers and the little tiny thing of grape juice. But what they were doing is they were eating so much, others weren't able to get any. And they were drinking so much, they weren't drinking Welch's uh, grape juice, by the way. They were drinking so much wine that they were getting drunk. Can you imagine coming to church? And the primary reason you went to church was to participate in the Lord's Supper communion, and you couldn't even drive your car home because you were intoxicated? We would be just aghast by behavior like that. But that's exactly what was taking place at the church in Corinth. And so the Apostle Paul writes to him a whole bunch of issues, but here's what he has to say. Verse 23, read with me. He says, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And there's really two key terms. If you don't get anything else, if you're distracted or your friends are talking to you or you're tired because you stayed up all night or whatever is happening, grab these two words from this passage of Scripture. Number one is this. When we take communion, we are called to remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We're, we're a, a, as Americans, we're really into remembering, aren't we? 
I mean, we love to remember. That's why we do the 4th of July. That's why it's a big celebration, because we want to remember when we became a people that were free from the, the, the bondage of England, Great Britain. We love freedom. And so we have parades, and we shoot off fireworks, and we have celebrations, and we have cookouts, because we want to remember. In just about a month, we're going to have a, a Veterans Day celebration that will take place, and we're going to remember all the men and women that have served our country. We want to Remember, I love Thanksgiving. That's my favorite holiday because I'm not thankful enough in my life. And I love the fact that every November toward the end of the month, there's a weekend where we don't do a lot else except we eat a lot of food and we say thank you a whole lot. It's good to remember. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And there's really a couple things that I think we should remember. The first thing we need to remember is the process of Jesus's death. Remember the process of Jesus's death. Um, Mel Gibson put the movie The Passion of the Christ out in 2004. Some of you have seen it. I know some of our teenagers watched it last year, maybe this year, for the very first time. And if you see that movie, it's hard to watch. First time I saw that movie was the night it came out in Lincoln, Illinois. I went to the 930 showing and uh, I wept through the entire movie, watching visually what Jesus went through because I'm a sinner to atone for my sins. The whipping, the beating, the mocking, the nails being driven into his body, the hanging on the cross for six hours, the spear being poked in his side, Every time you eat the bread, every time you drink the cup, you're called to remember the process, the crucifixion, the horrific way that Jesus died because you're a sinner, because I'm a sinner. Songs, poems, for, for decades, for centuries, have driven home that truth that I'm the reason, you're the reason. He's the reason that we have hope. Jesus died for us. So we first remember the process, but for many of us, that's all we remember. When we take the bread, when we take the juice, and when we partake, that's all we really think of as the cross. And I think if Jesus could speak, I think Jesus would say, I want you to remember the process, but even more than that, remember the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross. The purpose of Jesus dying on the cross. He went to the cross so that I can experience the forgiveness of sins so that you can experience the forgiveness of sins. I, I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's one of the great single verse uh, nuggets of Scripture in all of God's Word. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for you, to be sin for me, so that in Jesus we can become the righteousness of God. Remember the process. Remember the nails. Remember the crucifixion. But also remember the purpose of Jesus' death. He died so we can have freedom from sin. So we can experience the hope of heaven. So very important to remember the purpose. 
Well, the first word that I told you that I really want you to remember is this, this big idea of remembering. I want you to remember, remember. There's a second word that I want you to remember today, and it's this word proclaim. In verse 26, Paul says that when you eat the bread and when you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And my friends, there is a truth, whether you realize it or not, whether you're seven or you're 17, or you're 77, that when you take that bread, and when you drink that cup, you are making a declaration. You are proclaiming Jesus is the way, and the truth, and the life. You are proclaiming that salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which men and women and children can be saved. So remember the process, remember the purpose, but realize as you partake, you are making a proclamation. You are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Now Paul doesn't stop right there, and I I don't want to spend a ton of time on, on the rest of chapter 11, but this has been a real source of struggle for many people. I've had people come up to me and say, you know what, I am struggling with sin in my life. And a preacher or a teacher or maybe a parent, someone told me that if I'm still struggling with that sin, I can't take communion. I've had people come up to me and they say this whole idea of taking it in an unworthy manner, they really struggle with it. And and a lot of times during communion, I probably shouldn't do this, I will watch you take communion, many of you. Sometimes you don't take it for whatever reason. And my guess is it's because of what Paul has to say beginning in verse 27. Let's read these verses together. Paul continues on saying, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread, before he drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. I really believe without a doubt that Paul is not speaking about someone that's struggling with sin you know why because doesn't that pretty much describe all of us if we were really if we took our kind of church face off and we just were real for a moment at eleven twenty-five on sunday morning don't we all struggle with sin i know i do i know i do so i don't think that's what paul's talking about uh, i i know people that struggle to forgive and i don't think paul I, you need to forgive The Bible's very clear. Don't hold on. You need to forgive as Christ forgave. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. I think Paul is talking about the person that mocks, the person that scoffs, the person that's just very flippant, that that takes the bread and takes the wine, takes the juice and, and partakes of it. But the way they live their life, the way that they go through life, Jesus Christ isn't glorified even a little bit. I think what he's saying is that when you do that, you're mocking the faith. You're mocking what Jesus did on the cross. So people ask me all the time, can I take communion or not? And my answer is really simple. If Jesus is Lord of your life, if you're a Christ follower, I encourage you to take the bread and to drink the cup. I think what Paul is trying to say is this, take seriously and soberly 
the Lord's Supper. That's really the truth that Paul is trying to uncover here. It's on the next slide. Take seriously and soberly the Lord's Supper. It is a blessing to gather together on Sunday morning. We've done it on Wednesday evening at our Thanksgiving Eve service. We did it last year on Thursday evening during Monday Thursday service to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, coming together at the table, taking the bread, drinking the cup, and remembering and proclaiming Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior. And so your bottom line this morning really is pretty obvious to you, I hope. Every time you take the bread, every time you drink the cup, you're making a declaration. You're making a gospel declaration. You're reinforcing what's of first importance, what matters most, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that Jesus Christ rose again. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for today and the chance to do our worship service a a little different, to move the order around and uh, to maybe stretch ourselves. And we realize, we acknowledge that what's important isn't the order of service. It isn't whether we use a cracker or a piece of bread. It isn't whether it's Welch's grape juice or it's Merlot. What's most important is that your son, Jesus Christ, died for us because we're sinners. And because we were in need of hope. We were in need of a Savior. And he brought that hope. He's made us righteous, even though we are sinners. That He's taken our sin, and He's made it His own, even though He was perfect in every way. And so for the rest of our time together, it's my prayer that our worship would be uplifting to you, and that through it all, everything that's said, every word that is sung, every act that is participated in, would be honoring and pleasing to you. Jesus, your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to do the invitation a little different.